For everything indie. For everything indie. For everything cults. It's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into the midweek edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. As always, Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. We got a very busy midweek pod for you here as we, coming off of the epic historic collapse uh, that we saw the Colts uh, commit on Saturday afternoon in Minnesota. I think the question now confirms, George, we talked this on the postgame pod, the future of Jeff Saturday feels cemented. This is, he, he is done. He's not going to be the permanent head coach of the Colts going forward in 2023 and beyond. I think now that the microscope kind of turns towards the general manager, Chris Ballard, what is his future? We'll get into that. There was an interesting article in The Athletic that will kind of kind of hint at or discuss the candidacy of Chris Ballard moving forward. We'll discuss it in the AFC South. It's unfortunate to say, but I think at this point, look out for the Jaguars, not just for this season, but the discussion is there. Have the Jaguars permanently right now moved past the Colts in the AFC South? Are they the third team, the Colts, in this division for 2023 and beyond? We'll discuss that as well. And another top candidate reportedly out there for, for Jim Mersey. It is reported that he has his top guy. We'll get into that as well. So very busy. Very busy midweek pod here, George, for a December that, I'll be honest, I did not think we'd have a lot to talk about at the midway point in December for a team that's 4-9-1. But I'll give the Colts credit. We've talked this a lot. This season, even though it's been bad, anything but boring. They keep us active. I mean, if nothing else, there, there's always talking points. There's always things going on. Helps when you pull a guy out of the ESPN studio to be the interim head coach. That's, that's always sure. going to be a, a an evergreen well of, of stories. Uh, but, you know, it, it's... I think for all the frustrating things about this season, which is 99% of this year, um, it has kept us with, with plenty of topics and, and hopefully it's kept this podcast pretty interesting. I mean, Saturday has to be the latest example where we just both thought, okay, they're going to go to Minnesota, lose a ho-hum game. And it's like, all right, not a lot of talk about where the Colts lose another game to a better team in which surprisingly, like, you know, they'll probably lose in a similar way because we've seen them lose kind of the same way uh, all season long. And as we know, just when we think, okay, it's another ho-hum pod, Boom. History does commence. So let's put a bow on that just historical loss. If you missed the postgame pod, also it was a, I can't say fun, George, but it was it was interesting. It was definitely more spirited, more engaged than I ever would have imagined uh, with, with the way the Colts are. If you said they lost the game beforehand. So you missed that. Make sure to check it out. YouTube, it's there. Twitter, it's there. Ryan underscore Hickey, the number three, or GM Bremer on Twitter. Or make sure just wherever you do download your podcast, check it out. Uh, the Blue Horseshoe podcast. It was, it was an interesting one to say the least, George. So coming off that, it was therapeutic. You know what? That's a perfect word for it. You're right. It was frustrating. It was sad. But I will say I woke up Sunday in a better place than I ever thought I would be. I think in part because we had that little therapy session uh, on social media and the postgame pod to help kind of vent out some stress. Hey, that's what we're here for. Hopefully the, the, the listeners, hopefully that, you know, we're able to, to put them on the couch as well and, and get through them through what has been just a dark, dark season. That is for sure. Yeah. So, you know, misery does love company. So if you're miserable, hey, we're miserable. So join us on the on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We are here where misery does come together. And hopefully it's at the end, like I said, you feel a little bit better about yourself uh, going forward here. But to put a bow, George, on history, and we saw the biggest collapse in NFL history happen on Saturday in Minneapolis, where I know, I, you know now, 33-0 second half lead, all within 24 minutes, mind you. It wasn't just the fact they blew a 33-0 lead in the game. It happened in a very rapid fashion, ending in overtime. Somehow, George, Sunday provided a gift because that was arguably maybe not the craziest ending. You think history, nothing could top that. The Patriots tried their damnedest because I don't know what the hell Jacoby Myers was thinking. I don't know what Marjorie Stevenson was thinking. I don't know what Bill Belichick, George, was thinking just not throwing a Hail Mary from his own 45-yard line and worst case going overtime. But whatever it was, the lateral gone wrong. Chandler Jones, as I'm sure you've seen 100 replays by now, takes it to the house. Gave Mac Jones a stiff arm for the ages as well. So I think it bears the question, George. Which worst do you think is more embarrassing or worse? Is it still a Colts blowing a 33 nothing lead? Or is it the Patriots literally throwing the game away in the last play of the game and giving Josh McDaniels an absolute gift of a win he did not deserve? I mean, first of all, the NFL continues to be the best reality show on TV. I mean, this weekend, what more could you have asked for between the Colts' historic collapse, the craziness with with the the Raiders and the Patriots? Uh, it felt like there were were down to the wire finishes every week. What it did was get me excited for the playoffs because I remember last year the way the playoffs were and every game coming down to a field goal, and it just feels like we're heading that way again, doesn't it? I mean, yes. so many things. Uh, we'll talk about the Jaguars and their ending later as well. That was another wild finish. 
uh, this weekend. But it, it's the NFL's the greatest show going, and I think they showed it again. Um, for the same reason that I that I went with the Jaguars' loss being worse than than the comeback uh, with the Vikings, I'm I'm leaning towards the Patriots being worse. It just cost them a lot more. In the end, the Colts get egg on their face. It's an incredibly embarrassing moment. Uh, you, you're in the history books now. You know the, when when the trivia questions asked. You know, what was the biggest comeback in, in NFL history? You're on the wrong end of that answer. But it didn't cost them anything. If anything, it helped them. They moved up in the draft. You know, at, at the end of the day, yes, it's incredibly embarrassing. It's completely inexcusable. It's a terrible loss. But it helped your franchise moving forward. What happened with the Patriots is incredibly embarrassing, a terrible loss, inexcusable, and might keep them out of the playoffs. We'll see how everything goes now. Uh, I think they're still in at the moment, but that's a really tight race uh, for those last two AFC playoff spots. And this is one of those losses that if you're sitting at home, uh, you know, in the middle of January, you're going to be thinking back to that play and, and what happened. And it's not just, you know, that play obviously is the, the cherry on the Sunday, much like the Colts, 14 points in 13 seconds, given our 13 points, I guess, in 13 seconds given up by the Patriots in that game. And again, it's just, I, I'm a, in my mind, that one's worse because it actually cost this team a lot more than than what happened to the Colts. Yes, you're right about that. Like the, the stakes are not even comparable. I still think the Colts is worse just because, like, I think you can for the Patriots, it's embarrassing, right? But at least you could say one player made just a dumb mistake in the moment. And like, like we have seen plenty of players make mistakes and just kind of like forget the situation or just try to do too much and it ends in, in disaster. To blow a 33-0 lead in the second half alone, it's more than just one guy. Like, that that's, I guess, the thing for me. You need the offense to collapse and just stop scoring, which they did. You need the defense mm-hmm. to not get a stop, which they did. And I think the worst part, too, George, is that they even got beneficial help from the refs where they had two touchdowns. That one definitely was, was awfully missed. We could argue about, you know, um, forward momentum being stopped, and that's always kind of a tricky call, but... We've seen that happen before. Maybe not the right call, but we've seen it before in other moments. But they, the Vikings had two touchdowns taken off the board, and the Colts still could not defend a 33-0 lead. You the highest-hit offensive line in the NFL. Couldn't get one yard on fourth down to ice the game. There's just so many different moments I can point to and look at where I just feel like for everything to go wrong or for you to just kind of give Minnesota every opportunity, get a few breaks, go your way, and then still not be able to capitalize, I just think it's worse because, again, it takes a full-team effort to blow that big of a lead in that short amount of time where, again, you could put the loss on Jacoby Myers only. You put the loss, if you want, on Bill Belichick for not hammering home, hey, just go down. Don't do anything else. We're going overtime. It's just, you're right. The, the Patriots obviously lost a lot more. They were in the playoffs uh, last week after the game. After the loss, they're out right now over the playoff spot uh, currently. So, and, and that could be the loss that keeps them out. But it's just like, man, to, to, to be a part of history, to lose a 33 nothing lead for how hard that is to do. I also said the Colts is worse, even though you're right. At the end of the day, we're sitting there, and I woke up Sunday morning saying, oh, you know what? His- making history is not that bad. But the way they lost, oh, God. I take the Patriots losing, like that way of losing compared to the Colts' way of losing. The still most stunning thing to me about the, the Colts' comeback, there was only one turnover. I mean, normally when there's yeah. a 33 comeback like that, there's a lot of short fields, a lot of, you know, offensive mistakes. Now, the offense kept going three and out, wasn't taking much time off the clock. Uh, so that's kind of the same as a turnover in a lot of situations, but really wasn't a lot of short fields. I mean, even with that fourth down, I mean, that's really where the game, I guess, came down to that fourth and inches and, and you fail. They score the next play. In a 68-yard run or 64-yard run, whatever it was, on the very next play, that's a, I, that's why you know I agree with you 100% on the, the mechanics of this loss were just so incredibly bad because there were so many things that had to go wrong. You get one more first down. You just prevent the big plays that the Vikings were getting uh, in the second half, and you're walking out of there with, well, that was close, but you, you survived. You escaped. It's unbelievable um, the way that they lost that game. And certainly, I think in a vacuum, the Colts' loss is worse because it's it's indicative of much deeper problems with the team. Uh, I just think when you look at everything right now and what it cost them, I'll, I'll go with the Patriots. 
Unbelievable. Like, it's still unbelievable. Like, and like I said, like the, they they won the Turner Battle George three to one. Like, I, I don't want to rehash because mm-hmm. again, we're gonna put that loss to bed. But it's like you're right. That's a great point. Like you would think, okay, you have a, a 33 point comeback. There's a pick six or a, a fumble in your own zone. Like you win the Turner Battle three to one, and the one turnover you had, you got lucky because a touchdown should have been on the board that was taken off for an inadvertent stupid whistle. I don't know what the rest were thinking or looking at. It was clearly out. Clearly, you know, easily recovered going the other way. But anyway, I digress. That was. Either way, George, the answer, the real answer for this, what's worse, Colts, Patriots, neither. Both suck. Both are are pathetic. Both are embarrassing. And both will live on for decades like that. That will be two losses we'll never forget. Just like 30 years later, even if, I mean, I was not alive for Oilers, Bills, but you still know the details. You know who's involved. That loss for Houston, that win for Buffalo carried on. uh, And this loss for the Colts and loss of Patriots will carry on. For decades, centuries, and generations of NFL fans, that, that play sure. is going to be that lateral play is going to be the butt fumble. I mean that that's yes. going to be forever, you know, a part of Jacoby Myers' history. I feel bad for him because he really was stand up guy about it. You know, he's he stood there and, and he's taking it all, and he seems like he's been a guy. He's had a solid career. He's made the most of of, of his situation. I think uh, you hate for a guy like that. This is what he's going to be remembered for, but that's that's the way it goes. That's the NFL. That is the one benefit for the Colts. When you blow a 33-0 lead, the highlight package to come back is sometimes too long, whereas you have that social media highlight, the Chandler Jones, it's easy. Easy to replay, easy to find on social media, less work for people to kind of dig it up. So if you're going to lose in embarrassing fashion. Oh, my God. That, 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 that image is going to live forever for, for Mac Jones. How like there wasn't an earthquake recorded after that stiff arm or how Mac yeah. Jones didn't sink into the ground? I doubt <laughs> Whew. That was unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievably funny. Couldn't have happened to uh, well, actually I don't know. I would love to have it happen to Josh McDaniels, but if it's not happening to McDaniels, <laughs> Bill Belichick's on the receiving end of that. That's that's about as good as it gets. That is for sure. Having the Patriots lose in a very unpatriot-like way, George. So, oh my God. But this is a Colts spot. So going back to the Colts historic loss, George. I think now outside of the embarrassment alone, right? I think like you mentioned. This, I think, has ripple effects going forward now. I think Jeff Saturday, for the minuscule chance he had of getting the head coaching job on a permanent basis, slams the door shut. I think we can close the case for Jeff Saturday as the permanent head coach of the Colts going forward. I think now it's really interesting as you start to kind of look towards Chris Ballard. This is the roster he constructed that is right now 4-9-1. and one. This is the roster he constructed that somehow managed to blow the, the biggest lead in NFL history Three games left, George. How much pressure is on Chris Ballard? And at this point, is his fate sealed, do you think, either way? Um, and he's back or not? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, the, the stat to me that really sticks out from these last two games, 58 to nothing in the fourth quarter in overtime. You know, 33 unanswered points from the Cowboys and then 25 from Minnesota. Uh, you know, they went into the fourth quarter with a 22-point lead. I mean, that's... That is in a, of itself remarkable amongst that 33-point uh, collapse. But and, and those, to me, are indicative of deeper problems on this roster. Like you are talking about, you can go back to that Patriots game and say, well, it's one play that was horrendous. You know, one guy, one decision, um, one huge mistake. With the Colts, those two fourth quarters, you know, that's that's indicative of, of something deeper, some, a bigger problem on the roster. Um, right now, I think it's hard to really know how much of that is straight up talent issues, uh, or, you know, deficiencies at at certain spots on the roster and how much of it is circumstances of the season. You know I mean? You're talking about an interim staff. They're shorthanded on the offensive side. Uh, and we've talked about all year, how long can these guys continue to keep this effort at the level that it's been. And I think it's going to be really interesting over these last three weeks to see, uh, because these last two losses are about as soul crushing as you get. I mean, a 33 point fourth quarter and then a 33 point comeback. Um, those are things that are not going to be easily forgotten. And, and I can tell you just from, uh, you know, the players reaction so far, they've not been easily forgotten. You know, the, these are lingering and, and you would expect them to, how that blows back on Chris Ballard will be really interesting to see the, the Zach Kiefer article in the athletic, you know, he had talked to Jim Irsay before the Minnesota loss. That's an important thing yes. to, to mention here. Uh, and Irsay was still solidly in, in Ballard's corner. And I think that doesn't surprise me because we've heard for a long time, the reverence with which Jim Irsay talks about Chris Ballard, you know, he compares him 
to Bill Polian all the time, talks about him as a Hall of Famer, uh, greatest GM candidate of the 21st century, all the things that he said uh, that, that leads you to believe that he's very much in this guy's corner. My question, and I'm interested in your take on this, Ryan, I think they're at a point now where you kind of need to blow this up. I think anybody who's not going to help this roster in 2025, you at least need to see what you can get for them. Uh, and in kind of reset and in and just remake the entire situation, and I don't know that Ballard is the guy to do that. Not so much because I don't think he's capable of it. It's just how many times is a GM going to do that with his own guys? A new guy obviously come in clean house. That's what they do. Will a GM who's still in his role look at things analytically? You know, from that thirty thousand foot view and make those decisions and hit the reset button, I, I think it would be a very difficult thing to do. I guess there's a lot to, I think it's tough, right? This is a, clearly a very nuanced situation. So I'll say this from a few to Franco's, I think this conversation has so many tentacles for it. I'll say this, number one, I agree with you on the reset. Like this is not, you're going to run it back and try to make the playoffs again next year. I think that's part of the reason why the Colts have been in the position they're in. They've tried kind of bandaid it up and make a playoff run and some of the some of the bandits have been band-aids or bullet holes. And as we're seeing now, some of the roster uh, some of the roster issues have really become magnified. We have less and less talent on the roster now. It's why the Colts are four nine and one. I think it's easier to digest and understand why this team has been so bad. Because look at the last few years, they're kind of piecing it together. It's not worked, and really, it's it's collapsed. So, but with that said, I agree with the reset. But I would almost call it a retooling, not a re rebuilding. Because if you look at this Colts roster, like they are not a veteran-laden team. Like you do have, if you believe that Quinn Nelson can get back to an All-Pro level, if you believe Ryan Kelly and Brady Smith can get back to an All uh, a Pro Bowl level, if you believe Jonathan Taylor will have a bounce back year, if you you know like Quiddy Payne as long as stay on the field, you know that's a that's a guy who maybe could be your next. Let's say Robert Mathis or Dwight Freeney. You obviously have Shaquille Leonard who missed this entire season. Zara Franklin stepped up admirably and played tremendous alongside Bobby O'Karake as well. So you have a, a linebacker core that's solid with young talent. I like Julian Blackman. You, you know, we talked about Isaiah Rogers. Like they have young building blocks at almost every position on this team. So it's not like they have to just blow it up, trade everybody, and you know, basically be like what the Texans are doing and acquire as many draft picks as possible, sell everyone off, and just kind of for a five-year period churn everything over. I think you do have a lot of still building pieces on this team where, yeah, you need a left tackle without a doubt. You need a right guard. You need another compliment on the edge uh, next to Quiddy Pay. You need, you know, I got to even mention with DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart, I think still two guys you can keep around this roster and they'll be there in 2025. Like, I think you do have a lot of pieces that will be here in 2025 and beyond. So, like, I don't think the turnover has to be maybe as drastic as some of the all-out rebuilds we've seen in the NFL where Chris Ballard just won't have the stomach to basically sell off everybody and go forward from there. So when it comes to, I guess, the discussion of will Chris Ballard, if you keep him, will he have a retooling? Like I would say yes, because I think it's easier for him to basically say, we do have some building blocks all around the roster. Now it's about getting you know complementary pieces to that. I think it's a little bit easier to do so then if basically the cabin uh, or the cupboard is bare and you're like one or two guys you can build around and you're selling everyone off. Would you agree with that or no? It's interesting. And I think that's definitely a, a, a lot of really good points um, because there definitely is. I mean, especially on defense, there's talent at every level. you got defensive line. you got literal pro bowlers at every level of this defense. Right. From the line and you, to most of them are young talent. Um, yeah, I mean, outside of Gilmore and, and Ngakwe are really the only two guys that are that are maybe on the downside of their career, uh, and they both played really well this year. Neither one of them is in a situation where you feel like you need to, to bail from them. Um, you know, they're not in decline. They're just, I think they're the two guys that are that, that have reached their peak. Are probably right. They won't be here in 2025 on, you know, as a contributor mm -hmm. for like a, a playoff team. Right. And so, I, you know, I, I think they're in there. My questions are more with the salary cap situation, the way the money's been spread around. Um, you know, do you need to maybe get, a Braden Smith or, or Ryan Kelly and see if you can get something for them. Not because they're not useful players anymore, but because you've got so much money tied up in this offensive line, you know, can, can you maybe get picks or, or a player somewhere else? Uh, but, you know, I think also to your point, that's more me just being 
I guess, anal about it in, in a lot of ways, you know, just getting down in it because that's my job, right? I look at the roster and I nitpick and, right. I, and I get into the details. But if you think about it, if you get, if you think Bernard Raymond's the answer at left tackle, and he might be, there are signs that maybe he's pretty good. Uh, you know, he's starting to come on here uh, in a tough situation and you get a quarterback on a rookie deal does where the other money is around really matter. And by the time those guys contracts run up, then we could have this conversation about maybe get, I don't know. I, I think you've got a lot of points there that, that make sense. Cause like I said, my issue is sort of where that salary cap money's spread out. But at the same time, if you're drafting and that's clearly the way Chris Ballard goes about things, you get a quarterback in here on a rookie deal. Does it matter your offensive lines made as much as it is if they start playing again at the level that they're capable of? I don't know. I think, I think there's, there's a tendency that I'm probably giving into a little bit right now to just hit that blow up button and just do it after a year like this. Uh, but I think you're making a lot of good points as far as there's a lot of guys here that if you tweak some other areas could be really beneficial to your team when you're hoping you're good again in 2024 or 2025. I'm glad you're on the fence, George, because like for me, I'm a I'm a Chris Ballagas guy. Like I think he deserves one more chance. Here's, let's do this. So let's take a quick break here on the Blue Ocean Pound. When we return, I'll make my case to have Chris Ballard come back one more year. But I will say there's one area that I think he should come back. I think the will, will he come back, is it makes it tough because there's one thing about Jim Merce I think he's done that we've seen. It makes it tough to validate and justify Chris Ballard coming back. So we'll discuss the, the future of Chris Ballard again when the Blue Horseshoe Pod does return. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Nicky, George Bremer here with you. As always, make sure you download uh, and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Pod because we have a lot, a lot of content coming your way over the next few weeks and months. That is for sure. So, George, we're just talking about Chris Ballard's future because this is coming off of a great article by Zach Kiefer of The Athletic, kind of laying out basically the entire Chris Ballard so far tenure in his, what's about to be sixth year here in Indy. He's 45-49-1 so far as a record, uh, or that's his you know team record as him as GM. Uh, for me, again, I think Chris Ballard deserves one more year to, to retool his roster and kind of show what he has. My reasoning is this. Look, you come, you get the job in 2017. Obviously, there's no Andrew Luck. You have Andrew Luck for one year. So basically, five out of six years as Chris Ballard's been there, there have been quarterback questions, quarterback concerns. You you haven't had one. And for me, uh, some of this is, I will say, he's not exactly put into practice what he's preached. But I'm at least believing in his philosophy of building the team from the outside in. Or from the, excuse me, from the inside out. Where you got to solidify the trenches, and then from there, get some you know weapons for the quarterback, and you just can't get the quarterback and figure it out. The frustrating part is that while Chris Bowers talked, I think a good talk that I believe in, we've seen just this past offseason, he's not acted on that. Where we had Matt Pryor left tackle uh, opening week, and you had a right guard spot with Danny Painter that clearly we saw after week one, he was overmatched. Like it wasn't it wasn't hard to tell that's not a position for him where he succeeds, and that's not going to be tenable going forward. So two of your offensive line solutions for a unit that you talked about since you got there day one of, you know, having it be priority were clearly obviously in over their head and failures from the start. Frustrating. But I think now, especially when you have a quarterback, um, this is going to be a quarterback driven class. You would think we assume again with the Colts, you never know, but you assume that they're going to get it sitting there. Pick number six. I want to give him a chance to get a quarterback. I want to see what he can do. Um, I want to see if he's able to to move up. I think this is a guy that we've seen him be aggressive before, whether it's trading back in the draft or trading a first-round pick for his Forrest Buckner, trading a first-round pick or conditional first that ended up being a first for Carson Wentz. And I want to see what his quarterback belief is when he's allowed to make the decision. Right? Like Obviously, when Angel Luck retires, you don't have, you don't have a decision on your hands. It's just He's gone. Jacoby says the guy in 2019. They got Phil Rivers, which I think that was – it sounds like a, a pretty joint decision between Ursay Ballard and Frank Reich. It sounds like definitely Carson Wentz is more of a Frank Reich push. Uh, clearly, Ballard had no hand in dealing Carson Wentz because that was a Jim Irsay mandate. And we'll see how much, you know, Matt Ryan was his, uh, let's say, pushing or not. But I just want to see, can you be able to draft a guy? And can I just want to give Chris Ballard, I guess, the opportunity to, if you're going to fail, at least fail with your guys instead of kind of getting pushed in a direction one way or another. I want to see, can this be the offseason where he has actual – freedom to make moves yeah you know i think it's interesting because i think one of the biggest 
knocks on him from the fan base is is the quarterback position. But in all honesty, the only move that I didn't agree with was the Wentz move. I mean, if you go back through everything that they've done, I thought he made the right decision at, at, at every other juncture. It's just that that Wentz move, I think, is haunting this team right now. We've talked about it before. I still think, you know, hindsight being 2020, which is, you know, hit the reset button on the PlayStation and and go back and do it over again. Um, if they had just waited and been patient and traded up in the draft for Justin Fields instead, I think you're in a lot different situation right now as a franchise. Uh, Frank Reich's probably still the head coach here. They're probably still a playoff contender. I think it changes everything. I really believe that. And I think that, to me, though, that kind of supports your idea of keeping him around. Because if you can get that young mobile quarterback in here, whoever it may be, um, you know, again, to, just in case the Texans are listening, they should not take Bryce Young. That, that should you do not want Bryce not Young. For them. Our uh, scouts, you know, both of our scouts, George, have said definite, definitively he is not yeah. the guy in the draft class. Too small, too weak of an arm. You know, you don't want to deal with that. Look, we dealt with Not shoulder injuries here for, for years. You don't right. want anything to do with that. Let him go. Um, you know, don't make him your problem. But if you bring in that young mobile quarterback, a lot does change about this roster. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if it's enough, if it changes everything about this roster or not. I will say this in his defense, too. You know, If you want to make the case for Chris Ballard, look at the defense in the six years that he's been here. He's built that defense, and that's where most of his focus was. He's built that defense into a playoff caliber defense. Now, granted, they're not coming off the greatest performance, probably not the greatest time to sing the no. defense praises. But if you're looking at that unit and the talent that's over there and, and what it was before he got here uh, and what it could be, again, with a healthy Shaquille Leonard, that group's pretty solid. I think you feel good about that defense moving forward. If you can do the same thing on offense, you could be a Super Bowl contender. And so – you know, how long does that take? How how many more years do you want to give him to do that? I don't know. Uh, but there is he's shown on the defensive side evidence that he can build from nothing into a, a really solid, formidable group. If you can do that on offense, then, you know, he can complete this mission that, he, that he's on here. And that's why I'm not solidly on either side, because I think you can make a good case both ways. Um, my biggest issue, and we just talked about this during the break off the air. This team, for whatever reason right now, is not the sum of its parts. When you look at the talent and you look at you know what they should be doing on paper, it's it's a lot more than four, nine, and one. The fact that the Texans lead this division, the Texans, the Titans lead this division at seven and seven, um, is unfathomable with the roster Indy has on the roster. And so is that Chris Ballard's fault? Is it a coaching situation? You know, I think that's what Jim Irsay has to determine. I think he already has. I mean, he fired Frank Reich and he brought Jeff Saturday in. I think that's his thinking. I think that's why he feels like, look, this roster is better. If I get the right coach in here, I get the right quarterback in here. This team can take off. We'll see if he's right. And that's the thing why I bring him back. And you, like, I should have made this point. You did a great job arguing my point for me, George. Just like, like we talked about in the first segment, like, they, like when you talk about re retooling versus rebuilding, like, this roster... I don't like. I really don't think it's that far away. Honestly, like, like I said, I didn't. When this team lost to the Jag, uh, to the Titans in Week Seven, it's not like we were writing the season off in terms of this team is done. Just because like you looked at this, or it wasn't like oh let's lose every game now because we're gonna get the number one overall pick. Because I just didn't think it was possible. Like I did not think this team we'd be talking about a tankathon, if you will. I just didn't think they were bad enough to lose as many games as they have. And so you're right. It's frustrating in the sense that this is this is a team that blew a 33 nothing lead and a team that blew. Or, or allowed 33 points in one quarter of the Cowboys a few weeks ago, and they're getting outclassed. But this is also the same team that lost the Eagles by, what, two points at home? Same team that beat one point, excuse me, thank you, beat the Chiefs at home. Like They have, not to play more victories, but they have at least played some of their toughest competition. Like They've played them tough. They've hung in there. So it's not like there's a huge talent uh, gap between some of the best teams and, and where the Colts are like, We've seen them just not come through, and we've seen them just have historically bad quarters and halves. But it's not like they aren't in these games against playoff-caliber teams where I don't think they're as far away. Like, like I don't see them anywhere near in the same realms as Texans. Like, that's, so they're nowhere near right now the Bills and the Chiefs and the Bengals, the Colts, but also nowhere near where the Texans are. So it's like I will give Chris Ballard the benefit of the doubt of he's been able to be a guy who's drafted for the most part very well. 
has a lot more hits than misses and a lot more value, especially this is a guy who finds a lot of good value in the later rounds. I would allow him to draft his quarterback. I would allow him to say, you know what, this roster is really not as far away as their record says they are and give him one more opportunity to where I think you're right. Like for me, I think this team is not that far away from turnovers. I think in part, I think coaching, if you get the right coach, they could get more to this roster than what we've seen so far this year. I'll tell you, it's interesting because, you know, talking about like perspective and in, in, in what your thought process was, I remember walking into the stadium, the Colts are three, two and one. I'm walking into the stadium in Nashville uh, in that October Sunday and thinking if they win today, they could get on a little run. They could kind of, you know, take control of this division. I, I really felt that way at that point. Right. Uh, and if you had asked me right then at that moment, I would have thought it was more likely they'd be nine, four and one right now than four, nine and one. Like as I was going into the stadium by the end of that day, I had a totally different opinion and a totally different feeling. Uh, but even then after that loss at three, three and one, I did not think they're going to win one of the next six games. You know, that, that was not or one of the next seven games, I guess. Um, that was not anywhere in my, my mindset um, that, that they would be anywhere near this situation. And so, there's a lot of things that happened that led here. I think that's one of the other things about this year. I think it's it's, it's dangerous in the NFL to play this game, you know, to say what if and and, and all the excuses. But this team has been you, – you had the quarterback benching. You had the firing of the offense coordinator, the firing of the head coach. There's been a lot of odd things that happened that kind of led into where they are now, and I think there's fatigue. The players were talking about it coming out of the bye, that the bye week was good for them to kind of mentally reset. And you saw that early against Minnesota. Now, of course, I think it's, it's put them right back in the same spot that they were in. But they're human like anybody else. And this is wearing on this football team. Mentally, they know they were supposed to be better this year. They know that their performances haven't been where they need to be. And I think you're seeing, I think you're seeing physical fatigue from this team and you're seeing mental fatigue from this team. And yeah, a fresh start with a new coaching staff, with some exciting new pieces could be, Good enough, but I, I just feel like the NFL is at a point right now where you could say that about probably everybody but the Texans. Probably every other team out there feels like, you know, if you're the Bears, what if you gave Justin Justin Fields any help? What if your defense got to stop every once in a while? You know what I mean? They're second worst team in the league right now, record wise, but they got to feel like they're that close. I mean, Denver right. might be the other one that's sort of not feeling really great just because you're you're tied to your quarterback for a long time. Very uh, it's not working out. Um, but I think probably what that leaves us with 30 of the 32 teams are probably feeling like one or two moves and, and, and they'd be a really good football team next year. You're right. I would agree. That's a dangerous game. Like at least that I'm playing and like, Oh, like they're, they're closer than you think. Cause you're right. Like, if you think that then nothing changes or m marginal changes are made and you're kind of right back in the same situation, you're kind of spinning your wheels. Um, so I'm hoping that at least the talent does kind of rise to the top, and this is more of a one-off bad year than anything else and a, a bigger indictment on the entire roster, just a total regression. But I will, to argue uh, argue against myself, George, <laughs> I, this, I think there are two reasons why Chris Ballard should be fired at the end of the year. Number one, I think it's obvious, if you hire Jim Harbaugh, and I'm on board, again, as a Chris Ballard, I don't say defender, but advocate for one more year. I would totally be on board if you hire Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh says, I want control. Fine. You give him control. Chris Ballard, thank you so much. See you later. Like, I think that's for having Jim Harbaugh be, I think, so far the number one guy in almost any Colts wish list. Uh, I think that's a guy where if he wants control, I think you do it. So that's one area where I would say, okay, I have no problem with, with, with Jim Mercer pulling the plug on Chris Ballard. The other thing, I know Zach uh, Kiefer did a great job outlining this in the athletic that gives me pause is. I don't know if Jim Mercer actually trusts Chris Ballard. He, like you said, he vocally says, oh, Chris is my, you know, we're so lucky to have him. He's our guy. Of course, he's not going anywhere. He said that multiple times about Chris Ballard's future. But his actions speak differently. Like, if you look at everything that's happened so far this season, we could talk about the benching of Matt Ryan. Was that Chris Ballard's doing? Absolutely not. Starting at Matt, uh, Sam Ellinger. That was Jim Mercer's doing. The firing of Frank Reich. The hiring of Jeff Saturday. All Jim Ursay is doing, oh, you know, basically jumping over Chris Ballard and kind of doing his own actions. So if you if you're Jim Ursay and you actually don't trust Chris Ballard to turn this team around, you can't bring him back. Like you cannot bring him back. You cannot bring him back to trust him to pick another coach. You cannot bring him back to to, to trust him to pick a quarterback. Or you do it yourself. Like if you if Jim Ursay is going to pick the coach, pick the quarterback, then bring in a new GM. Now, if you don't trust Chris Ballard, which I'm not sure truly if he does because he says he does, but his actions don't reflect that. 
I don't know how you could bring a guy back that you don't trust to make some simple moves where you are basically kind of shadowing or basically being the de facto GM yourself. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think a lot of that's frustration on on Ursay's part, and we saw him with the all in statement and in the, the you know jet engine video and everything. And I think a lot of this was just frustration, which we've talked before about him sort of reacting like a fan, you know, in some moments. And I mean, let's be honest: when you go back to the way they lost that Jacksonville game at the end of the year uh, last year, uh, and that embarrassing loss, and and all the pain that came with that, and then you go and, and lay an egg in Houston in week one and get shut out in Jacksonville in week two. I think that set the table for the frustration to the point where when they got swept by the Tex- the Titans, uh, why I keep wanting to call the Titans the Texans today, I have no idea. But when they got swept by the Titans uh, there in Nashville, I think it was just boiled over. You know, at that point, he was just – the fr- so I don't know if that's so much a lack of – just to play the devil's advocate, I don't know if it's so much a lack of faith in Chris Ballard moving forward as it was just – utter frustration in the moment and he's just going to take charge and change this season the way that it's going. And and obviously he did, but probably not the way that, that he wanted to. Um, the other thing that I, on the hardball thing, sort of my take there is I think he and Chris Ballard can work together. The question, and, and as you asked it is whether Harbaugh wants that to happen. That's the part I don't know about. But I don't think that, you know, I think a lot of fans out there are like, well, that can't work. It can't be a marriage that, that that could happen. I don't know if I agree with that part of it simply because Ballard's whole, his entire MO is to include the coaches. The staff meets with the scouts. Um, they're very involved in the offseason process from free agents, the draft. I think that can be a, a coexisting situation. Now, the question always is the egos. Uh, and, and whether it'll be a personality clash and, and all uh, ultimately whether, you know, Jim Harbaugh would come into a situation uh, where a GM has the kind of power that Chris Ballard has had. Those need to be answered. But I don't think it's a situation that on the surface just can't work no matter what. I wonder if Chris Ballard even would want to stay because, I mean, you go. I just keep going back to that press conference that they had when uh, they introduced uh, Jeff Saturday. I, you thought Chris Ballard was being held hostage. Like that was a guy that looked furious. He was very short in his answer. I think he only had like one or two questions thrown his way. So he was not exactly, uh, you know, uh, willing to talk or or very expansive in his words that he, the few words he did utter. And so it's like, if you're, he, cause he obviously felt like Jim Mercer went over his head and made this move, which you're right. Jim Mercer is very emotional, man. Maybe Chris Ballard, maybe it was the right move to talk him out of it. And obviously we're seeing the results right now, kind of, you know, reap their ugly heads with a third, fourth and loss and, or third, fourth and fourth quarter, the Cowboys and a 33, nothing collapse to the Vikings. So there you go. You don't hire a head coach. You play stupid games. You get stupid prizes. But I also wonder if you're Chris Ballard, you're kind of getting dragged. You get embarrassed right now nationally with how the, the roster is performing in recent uh, games. And Parker is the head coach you hire in Jeff Saturday. If you bring in Jim Harbaugh, like I said, maybe they do want to work together. But, you know, Jim, maybe Jim like, gets a little bit more percentage of say, or maybe Jim has Jim, Urs- you know, Jim Harbaugh has Jim Ursay's ear, maybe a little bit more than Chris Ballard does. Like, I wonder if you say, you know what, screw it. Just just fire me then because I don't want to have, you know, another hand tied behind my back and have my voice, you know, while technically it, it matters or it's hurt, it's it's still kind of like you have two guys going over his head and doing his job for him. I, yeah, I just and, wonder, you know? No, I'm I'm a, I'm 100% with you. I, I think that's a really legitimate question in all of this is, you know, where's where's Chris Ballard's head and, and how's he feeling about that three-week stretch that was just insane? Uh, you know, wh- what does that make him think moving forward? And I think a lot of that would come down to, you know, is if Jim Harbaugh is the guy, is that a Jim Ursay call or is it a Chris Ballard call? Is he the one that's looking at it and saying, because there's a lot of reasons to bring Jim Harbaugh in here. Uh, just look at what he did in San Francisco. And I think just about, again, probably 30 of the 32 franchises would sign up for a four year stretch like that. There wasn't a Super Bowl title in there, but it's the only thing that was missing, you know? Right. Um, and so I think it's, it's very reasonable to think that Jim Harbaugh's at the top of Chris Ballard's list, but that's the question again. You know, if, if the head coach, if he's not going to have the say in the head coach search, I could definitely see him stepping away because at what, you know, what happened during the season, um, if that continues into the off season, what good are you, what good is it for you as, as a GM? Why would anybody work under those, those kind of situations? So, uh, those are just things we can't answer, but I think they're really good questions because, you know, what is the dynamic right now? I don't sense that there's a lot of tension between Ursa and Ballard in that way. There's always 
they've both been open about it. There's always some pretty heated discussions between them. You know, they, they have uh, some arguments and, and they go back and forth. I Right now, I don't think it's anything more than that. I think it's just more high profile because it's not over a free agent or a draft pick. It's over, you know, a head Who the coach of the team never been made before, you know? Um, and so I think it's, it, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out though. I, I do not rule out on the list of possibilities. I don't rule out anything because I've lived through this season. So True. I'm not going to rule out anything. Uh, but I definitely don't rule out Chris Ballard resigning on the list of possible outcomes this year. Let me ask you this to wrap up the conversation, George, about Chris Ballard's future. Do these last three games matter one way or another? Because I think they do. Like, honestly, I think they do. When, when Frank, I'll say this, at least explain my rationale. When Frank Reich was fired, I honestly thought, okay, Frank Reich's fired. There's not really doubt in my mind. Chris Bell will be back, and he'll be the one making the next head coach call. It's like he's fired two or three coaches. This is the first head coach under the, the Ballard regime that's been – or second head coach, Chuck Pagano, that's been fired, right? So I really thought, okay, he'll have a chance to, to pick his guy. You watch how, you know, the Dallas game goes. You watch how the Vikings game goes. And now, like you said, with Jeff Saturday's future sealed, we start looking at the GM and the guy who puts the roster together – Losing the next three games is absolutely what they should do. I think what they'll lose at least two. They might beat the Texans because who knows? But if I want, like, if you lose to the Texans, knowing how emotional Jim Mercer is, I could see just saying right then and there, clean break, it's over, we're done. Chris, thanks for your time, but we we got to move on. I think these three games do matter because I look at Chris Bowett's seat today a lot warmer as someone who wants it back a lot warmer than I did when when Frank Reich was initially fired a few weeks ago. I definitely agree with that. I think when Frank Wright got fired, I would have been pretty solidly convinced uh, that Chris Ballard was coming back. Um, and, and I'm not as solidly convinced of that right now. I'm more like 60-40 probably right now. Um, I think that Week 18 game is the one that really matters. Um, if, if they were to get totally run off the field by the Chargers or the Giants, that might factor in. Uh, but if they lose to them the way that they've been losing most of the year with some mistakes here and there and – you know, and, and the other team just making more plays down the end. I don't think it matters. But that Houston game at the end of the year, I think could, if you lose to the team with the number one draft pick and back-to-back years in the season finale, that's going to be tough. And, look, Houston's been playing decent football lately. I mean, let's just be honest. Um, they almost beat the Cowboys. They almost beat the Chiefs, took them to overtime. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of the possibility that Houston wins that Week 18 game. Right now, if they were going to play this week, I'd probably favor Houston, in all honesty, because of how they've been playing um, the last couple weeks and because of the Colts' tendency to just lay an egg in in late-game situations. That's the one to me that really matters Um, because, again, losing to the team with the number one pick and and back-to-back years in the season finale with an emotional owner, that could end poorly. Yeah, I think you're right. Like Again, losing is going to only benefit the team. I hope they go in three. I really do. Um, but I, you're, I, I could definitely see Jim say freaking out if you lose to the Texans at home, nonetheless, with, with like the five people that are there, they're, they're going to be in the stands that day watching that game. I'm sure with, when you have the four 11 and one Colts taking on the, I don't know what, one in 13, 13 and one. one Texans. Holy cow. Let's move now, that one to prime say, time. I will say the one mitigating factor here is what else happens with the roster at this moment. It doesn't look like Jonathan Taylor is going to play the rest of the year. Nor should right he. Call. Um, you know, absolutely shouldn't go. If they lose some more starters, I don't know. That's a good point. You know, like if Sam Ellinger plays, it's less of a brutal loss than if like you're you're running out the same crew minus John and Taylor that you had on Saturday in Minnesota. I think you're right about it. you are right. That's a good point. That could maybe be the one saving grace. Ellinger sinks. I don't think uh Ballard's an Ellinger guy, so you can kind of push that off of hey, this is this is you, Jim, not me. Then you know, mm-hmm. liked him, wanted him, wanted to play him. I think that's an interesting point. You're right. Cause if you lose the Texans with Sam Ellinger and a few other, like, you know, backups playing some big time positions, I think you're right. Maybe that could change kind of Ursay's view, but also trying to, as you know, reading Jim Ursay, getting in his brain, trying to predict what he's going to do. It's a losing battle. It's a losing effort. Cause you, no one will ever know. It's he's first and foremost, he's the team's number one fan. I don't think he's ever been, he's never hidden that, you know, his emotions are on his sleeve uh, and and because I it, it it is hard to say, but I think there's a lot more. Just as that conversation went, you know, I think there's a lot more layers to this. It's not as simple as just win and lose. Uh, there's a lot more to it. You know, what else is going on, and and what thoughts are going on in, in Jim Mercy's head, what thoughts are going on in Chris Ballard's head, 
and what thoughts are going on in potential head coaching candidates. I think all that plays into what, what we'll see ultimately play out. Crazy uh, for a four, nine and one team. How, how many storylines, how important these next three games are, but that's, that's the wacky season we've had, George, and that does definitely continue here as we kind of get closer to week 16 and another prime time game for the Colts. We'll break that game down a little bit later on in the week for sure. But when we're returning to finish up the pod, we talked a lot about all right, the Colts' future, head coach, future of their their GM and Chris Ballard. Let's also talk about the AFC South where the Colts rank right now. So I wonder if this also plays a role in Jim Mercy's decision-making is it fair to say right now with the Jaguars coming on strong, they have passed the Colts? Obviously, record-wise, they have. But if they pass the Colts going forward here as the second-best team in the AFC, we'll discuss that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Ryan Nicky, George Bremer here with you. Make sure you download, subscribe, wherever you do get your podcasts. So, George, you look as we head into Week 16. This Colts season is obviously not gone as we thought, 4-9-1. and one. Titans are at the top of the division. Holding on for dear life, because just as we thought, watch out, break them up. The Jacksonville Jaguars are making a run four and two the last six games. Trevor Lawrence is playing outstanding football in that stretch. 14 touchdowns, one interception. He's really grown since that, that brutal loss in London to the Broncos. I think it was like week eight, I believe it was. So he's now kind of showing the Jaguars. Go figure, they have a competent head coach. And all of a sudden, Trevor Lawrence is looking better. Seam overall is looking better. Going forward, right? Forget this year because obviously that's that's an obvious yes uh, when I ask you this question. But going forward, like 2023, going into the offseason, when you start to project ahead of you know teams to beat in the in the division, have the Jaguars in your mind moved past the Colts? Are the Colts right now the third best team in the AFC South? Absolutely. You know, I think it comes down to look the two most important things you're going to do in the NFL: your head coach and your quarterback. The Colts literally don't have a head coach right now; they just have an interim situation, so they have no idea who the head coach is, and. Clearly, Trevor Lawrence is a better quarterback than, than any quarterback on the Colts roster. So, um, you know, I think here's the interesting thing to me. I think Jaguars definitely have moved ahead right now. But depending on how the draft plays out and the offseason plays out, you could say going into the 2023 season, maybe not specifically for that year, but going into the 2023 season, like if it's a futures market, who you're buying stock in, the Texans and the Jaguars might be at the top two spots in the because, again, the Texans draft Bryce Young, they'll have the two best quarterbacks in the division. If they get Bryce Young and the Jaguars have Trevor Lawrence, you would feel like those are the two teams best situated moving forward because of who their quarterbacks are. Now, there'd still be questions in Houston about the, the head coach, but that, to me, that tells you how important those two decisions. You look at Jacksonville, what they were last year, the disaster that was Urban Meyer, one of the worst head coaching decisions in NFL history. There's no question about that. And now you see Doug Peterson come in, a competent head coach, a Super Bowl winner. Took a while. Didn't happen overnight, but they're they're starting to figure it out. That team rightfully feels really good about what they're doing moving forward. And I think it's an example for the Colts. That's how important it is. If you get if you hire Urban Meyer this offseason, then will you probably get Caleb Williams? That's the upshot of it. <laughs> but if you but if you hire, you make a Doug Peterson style hire, maybe by the end of the year next year, you can start feeling really good about where you are. But it also goes hand in hand with the quarterback move, getting that right guy at quarterback and giving him the time and giving him the resources. And Trevor Lawrence last year had two things going against him. Jaguars had nothing else on the roster, which was making it difficult for him. And his head coach was clueless. And now you've got a head coach who's maximizing what he does best. He's got more help because they went out in free agency and they had a pretty good draft. That's where it's at. You know, it's that's how critical this offseason is, whether it's Chris Ballard or Jim Irsay or an unknown candidate, whoever it is that's running this offseason show. That's how critical this offseason is. You get that coach and the quarterback right by the end of the year next year, you could feel good about your chances again. You don't. You could be looking up at the Jaguars and, and the Texans for, you know, next five or 10 years. I get what you're saying with the futures market, and this is nowhere, you know, within the next even five years. I still, to be honest, George, I can't trust the Texans too. Even if they get Bryce Young and make, well, hopefully not listening, make the right decision in drafting <laughs> Bryce Young. But if they are listening, make the wrong decision in drafting Bryce Young. I still can't trust them to put enough talent on them, just because like you look look at that roster. And we'll get a, a good look at it in Week 18 because Week One is a little tougher. Like this team stinks. I know they're playing tough last week. This team just stinks. So there's so much work to do. Outside of just quarterback, we said you got to hire a head coach, which I mean, they seem infatuated with Joshua Cowan. So maybe the third time's a charm, they pull the trigger on Joshua Cowan. 
I have no idea if Josh McCown's going to be a good head coach or not. We've seen a guy with no experience in Jeff Saturday just utterly fail so far. So I don't know if Josh McCown will be that much better uh, with zero head coaching experience or really zero coaching experience in general. So I, do, I will not give the Texans benefit of the doubt. But I'm with you at least definitely with the Jaguars. And you bring up a great point. Like, forget just like, right, a five-year span. Like, right now, like, I think the Jaguars are way better positioned for the Colts. They are definitely ahead of the Colts, ahead of the, the Titans for sure when it comes to 2023 and beyond. And I think you're right, too. Like, the Jaguars are a good test case for the Colts because they were 3-14 and 14 last year. So in a similar situation now, obviously, they had Trevor Lawrence, which helps. But the head coach hiring really transferred everything because you look at the roster. Like, it's not like this, the Jaguars are this great roster. But, like, Zay Jones had three touchdown receptions on Sunday in their win of the Cowboys. Zay Jones. Like, no disrespect. He would, Even with this Colts team right now, where they are, like, he's, what, their third-best receiver? Fourth-best receiver? Like, it's not very good. So even though Trevor Lawrence is really turning around the second half of the year, it's like there's a lot of weapons for him to throw the ball to or, you know, a lot of weapons for him to kind of dish it out to. So it's like they are still – you see the impact of coaching where if you hire the right coach, they're able to get the most out of this roster. Mike Vrabel is another great example of an okay roster in Tennessee, but he is – the reason why they are in the playoffs every year is because he does a great, a great job of elevating that talent. If you can get a Doug Peterson-esque, a Mike Vrabel-esque coach – yeah, this Colts team could turn around. But right now, like I said, they, they don't have that. They don't have a quarterback. So easily, they are the third best team going forward here for the Jaguars and Titans. And honestly, George, I might take the uh, I might be I might have to see how the season goes, but see the direction of the Titans. I might take the Jaguars as the team to beat next year in the AFC South. Oh, yeah. Right now, like with the information we have right now, and obviously there's a long way to go until next September, uh, I would definitely pick Jacksonville to win the division. I'm almost ready to pick them to win it this year. I mean, all I they got to do is I stay would. within one game. If they, if that, I'll say this: the last thing Tennessee wants is this to come down to that that season finale between the two of them. Tennessee better have a two game lead going into that because I, I would yeah. put my money on Jacksonville in that situation. Banged up Ryan Tannehill as well. That's going to be interesting down the stretch. But yeah, this I'll give the Titans credit that they, when you fire John Robinson, this is their signal of them trying to go from being a, a good playoff team to like a Super Bowl caliber team. Now, wanting to do that and actually achieving it, obviously, as we know, it's two massively different things. So at least they're going for it. But like I said, with this Colts division, it's weird to say, but I think you got to follow the lead of the Jaguars. You got to follow the lead of Jacksonville. Get a quarterback this year. Fingers crossed it's Bryce Young. But instead of waiting a year and hiring Urban Meyer, which, look, I mean, if you like Caleb Williams that much, Urban Meyer, Urban's out there. Do it. Do or it. Urban's at Fox. He would come back. Do it. <laughs> You know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, that's 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 the argument for just keeping everything the same here in Indy, right? Just run back with with Jeff Saturday, let Sam Ellinger start next year, and go draft Caleb Williams uh, in 2024. Um, that's true. You don't even need a Meyer. That's a good point. <laughs> that's that's the way you get it done. Um, I, I'm going to be interested to see one thing with Tennessee. What do they do at quarterback this offseason? You know, where they feel they are with Malik Willis. And I'll tell you what, for all the Aaron Rodgers talk, he flirted with the Titans at least allegedly, reportedly, last year, might they be ready to pull that trigger? That would be interesting. Or could they be in the Tom Brady sweepstakes What with the relationship he has with Mike Vrabel? Um, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see. There's a good chance. I don't know there's a great chance, but there's a good chance uh, that, that the 2023 season opens and the Colts have the worst quarterback in the AFC South. I think that's a good point. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right because it's if it's not Bryce Young, we are not very high or feeling very good, at least at the moment, or any other quarterback in this draft class. So if Bryce Young goes to t- uh, the Texans, you're right, they have a leg up there. And, I mean, I think you're also right. Like, I think Tennessee's going to be aggressive. And they have a situation where if you are an Aaron Rodgers, if you are a Tom Brady, uh, there's always one or two surprises. Maybe there's another you know guy that wiggles for you. Maybe they trade up aggressively in the draft to try to get to when they like. Like, whatever it is, right, I think Tennessee will be aggressive in getting that quarterback. And if you are able to do so, that's been the biggest Achilles heel for them. It's it's a scary thought, which is why this this we've talked to this before. This offseason is gonna be massive for the Colts. This is the the one that I think will shape the next five years. Like we've talked on the pod before, and I think it's it's not hyperbolic because you just hear a quick outline of, of the AFC South. The Jaguars right now have seemingly figured out, and they're on the rise. And you think they're only gonna get better with more talent added to the roster. Tennessee, you is going to try to be aggressive in upgrading this roster and have it be where it's not very good now, and they're still better than the Colts. So you gotta think they. They should succeed at some level of making it better. Texans could get Bryce Young. Now, they still have a huge uphill climb to go with head coach and just, just how dysfunctional they've been really since the Sean, really since 2020. I mean, that just season went into the crapper uh, from there. 
But it's like you look around, you're like, things are scary for the Colts because if you don't if you don't get it right, moves were made, but if you don't get them right, you, you could be sitting there in the basement as soon as next year or even 2024, if they, you know, the other three teams start to put together, it's, this is a massive, massive, massive. We can't understate it or it will not be overstated how big of an offseason this will be for the Colts. Not even the playoff contenders next year, George, to get them on the path. This is not a one year rebuild, but this is a rebuild where if you get it right, you could set yourself up for the next decade of being a legitimate contender, or you can find yourself, like I said, looking up at the standings most years in the AFC South. They're choosing the two most important positions in the NFL. In my mind, when, when you're going in the offseason and, and you're probably getting a head coach and a quarterback, that's no matter who you are, that's setting you up, you know, for at least the next five years because you're going to give that quarterback, if he's first round pick, you're going to give him every opportunity. Yep. Uh, and I would imagine they're not going to have a quick, you know, unless unless the coach is Urban Meyer, you're not going to have a quick leash on, on the head coach. You know, I mean, that guy's going to get probably at least three years. So, yeah, it's not a small decision that's being made. It's 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 not a short-term kind of a situation. This is where it's at. And you make an argument, uh, and it's part of why I kind of want to do the, the the whole blow it up. You know, I think the best argument for just hit that button and, and nuke it is, you know, maybe it's not the worst thing if this team is the worst team in the NFL next year and you do get somebody like Caleb Williams in here and start building around him. I'm just trying to think really quick off the top of my head. If there's any other, like, again, the Texans will get a quarterback. So even if they're bad, you would think that takes them out of the running unless like the Cardinals and they just go back-to-back first row. Well, the Cardinals weren't even picking number one at the time they got Josh Rosen. But imagine being back-to-back first overall pick being quarterback. Something I think we've never seen before off the top of my head. Other than that, like, I'm sure the Panthers are a mess. The Rams should bounce back, you know, uh, getting hell. Like, it's – the path would be there, but – like I said, I, I'm hoping that this has to be the offseason for the Colts to turn around. Do not wade into the waters of, oh, let's just tear it down. I think it's a that's a philosophy that sounds good on paper now, but rarely ever comes to fruition. It's so tough to have everything kind of go your way tanking-wise. And when you tear it down, that means you got to replace all that talent you got rid of and, and build it back up. I like – I still believe in the core. I'll say that. I guess to finish it up and put a bow in this, George. I'm a believer in the core on this team, the young core, which is why I would give Chris Ballard one more year. I think this is a team where if you get the right head coach and the right quarterback in, you can, again, not turn it around next year, but you can kind of start to build and really start to build something sustainable where you can be a legitimate threat here in the AFC for the next, say, five years. But again, at the same time, if you get it wrong or if I'm wrong and this this team just regresses will never kind of be as good as we thought they were, especially the young pieces we saw the last few years, then you're screwed. And then you are screwed, and then they don't even need to tank because they will be one of the worst teams in the NFL next year. I think Miami's a perfect example of what you're talking about, though. They they did what I was talking about. They hit the nuke button, but then they won more games than they wanted to. And apparently there's a lawsuit over that. Uh, and they in the, in the five hole uh, instead of at number one, which you, you kind of lucked into Tua in, in that situation. I probably should have taken Joe Burrow, but that's a – or not Joe Burrow, uh, Justin, Justin Herbert. Herbert. Uh, but that's that's conversation for another day. Um, but – you know, where they're at now, that's been a long, hard slog. It wasn't the quick turnaround that, that, that everybody hopes it was. Uh, and they're still not there. You know, they, they've made right. big progress this year, but they're still fighting for a playoff spot. And, you know, they've got work to do in these last three games. They're better than they were when they hit the nuke button, but it's not the utopia they were hoping for when they made that decision. So I think it supports what you're saying. No matter what you do, it's a hard road forward. Uh, the most important thing is whatever path you choose you got to get it right. No matter right. what you do, you got to make the right choices. And and I think even bigger than quarterback, I think head coach right now is the biggest one of those because you get the right head coach. Uh, you see what Mike Bra- Brable has been able to do in Tennessee. I, I think that's the most critical element. I'm just trying to think if I asked you, maybe if we can say this for another pod, we'd rather have Jim Harbaugh or Bryce Young. Actually, I'll, I'll tease that now. We'll tease that question. Maybe we'll talk about it either on Thursday or next week. We'd rather have Bryce Young right now or, or Jim Harbaugh if you have one of the two. I think it's actually a really interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. So we'll have that later on for sure. Um, that'll do it for the midweek pod edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Again, make sure you're you're checking George out on Twitter at Jim Bremer. Follow me at Ryan underscore Hickey, the number three. Make sure you're liking, downloading, subscribing to the podcast. As you just hear, we got a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about, including on Thursday. I'm really excited about this, George. So obviously, normally on a Thursday, right, we get ready to preview the game upcoming. It's a Chargers on Monday night. I know by now most of you are checked out and don't care about the results and or most of you are rooting for a loss, which I think is the right thing. I am as well. 
So instead of previewing a game which we want the Colts to lose, let's start talking about previewing their future. So last week we had Eric at home of NFL media does a great job just, you know, handling a lot of their draft analysis. He came on, just kind of give a little overview, a quick summary. So if you missed that, that's why you're downloading uh, and subscribing to Blue Shoe Pod. It's clutch. You just go right back. Last week's episode, boom, right there. Easy to find. Check out our interview with Eric. It kind of gave a nice primer uh, of all the top quarterbacks the Colts could be interested in picking uh, if they do pick one in the, in the first round and maybe a few sleepers as well. And now, George, it's time to kind of dive into a little bit more in-depth of some of these guys. So I believe the plan is of right now, we're going to talk to a Gainesville area scout, kind of get his take on Anthony Richardson, one of the most intriguing draft prospects uh, quarterback-wise this year in terms of what he does well, what he does not well. Can he be a Josh Allen guy and figure it out? It's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll kind of deep dive into Anthony Richardson on Thursday. So Colts fans, make sure you check that out because that could be the guy that the Colts, if they draft at where they sit currently right now, number six, maybe they could have another Josh Allen on their hands. Maybe they could have a Jamarcus Russell. Fingers crossed it's the former or the former. Yeah, the former. I always screw that up, former and the latter. Well, hopefully it's the former. Hopefully the Colts have their own version of, of number 17 that Buffalo has right now. For sure. So that'll be a lot of fun. So make sure, again, you're downloading, subscribing. We'll have a lot of interesting, fun content coming your way, even though right now the Colts are not a very fun team uh, to watch, that's for sure. So have a great week. Have an early happy holidays. And we'll talk to you uh, on Friday right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.